0: Uh, hello and welcome to today's startup equity matters. It's a podcast about how to create real value from startup equity. It's for early stage founders and their teams. And remember, the enemy of startup equity matters is the old school. <laughs> One of the least talked about topics, or at least the hardest topic, really to to find out anything about, is is exits. You know what happens when things go really, really well. And as a founder or as a team member. You know, you're able to create significant wealth from your stock. That's sort of if we can't champion these stories, it's hard to understand, you know, what we're all striving for. So today we're gonna to dig into eSOC success and and liquidity, how it works, what happens when you get a solid exit. How does this then drive you to create awesome ownership culture in your future companies or not? Hopefully it does. So yeah, our guest today, we're very uh, fortunate to have Stuart Cook, from currently from Twyo Capital, and he's a board member and chairman of multiple high-growth companies as well, uh, including FitStop, currently expanding over in the US. So look, this really is an exciting one. I uh, met Stuart recently. Uh, he's done heaps of great stuff. I think he's had a career many of us would dream of, uh, scaling up companies, founding, exiting, traveling, investing, now having a family office. So. Super, super interesting and and exciting guest. So, welcome, Stuart. Yeah, thanks very much for having me.
1: And big fan of what you and your your team are doing.
0: Yeah, thanks. So I should also say, you know, big supporters of Cake. I think you could actually have the most Cake clients on here out of out of anyone. So, super user at Twio as well. So, we're very grateful for that. Not that this is a Cake ad, but you know, it's very nice. So, thank you for that and to be clear that was uh we were big fans of cake before I got to meet you so it's the product that speaks for itself
1: so big fan of really big fan of what you
0: do uh thanks a lot really really appreciate that again very glad to have you here been looking for people to champion great success stories and and yours is a, an awesome one so let's go right back to the beginning and let people get to know you a little bit so how did things start out for you in, in your career so I won't go too much into the,
1: the uni dropout three times. Ended up doing door-to-door sales because I was tricked into my first job thinking it was a marketing role.
0: That's so funny. I dropped out of uni and did door-to-door sales as well early on in my career. Yeah, 100%, 100% commission was
1: dirt poor. <laughs> um, then, then joined corporate sales for a psychometrics assessment and HR consultancy company. But I was always somebody who was... Uh, out there networking it was doing some charity work and you know signing up for young programs or young professional programs just to expand my network and also do as well as I could in my sales role by meeting other executives in companies not being an executive myself but just wanting to be around them so I could learn and grow and I was fortunate enough to go and do some charity work as well as attend a, a program over in India where I was fortunate enough to sit next to Sam Prince, uh, founder of Zambrero, on the bus on the way to the Taj Mahal. I thought it was kind of funny that a medical doctor had two Mexican restaurants, but then also that But what really piqued my interest that he was using those profits to build schools and IT centers in Sri Lanka, um, where his parents were from. Wow. And so, that following year, I signed up with him to go and do a month. I used my, all my annual leave for the year to sign up to go and build schools and IT centers with him in a remote Sri Lanka and didn't realize that there was a civil war going on at the time. It was the very end of it, but, yeah, it was pretty confronting. But then through that process of working together, we became good mates. And then we, uh, he said, how about you come on board, be my CEO of by two restaurants and I'll give you equity as you grow it over the coming years and I wasn't particularly happy with the company I was working with and the role that I was there and so I said hell yes and traveled down to Canberra luckily I liked the food that was you know step number (laughs) one I'd already accepted role and quit my uh position so it was no turning (laughs) back and yeah, so the rest the history. It was a, an amazing journey for, for six years, six and a half years with Sam and Zembro that took me not only to move to Canberra, but around the world and uh, expand the company into multiple countries and yeah, provided a really amazing opportunity for me from only a very young age from 23 to 29.
0: No, mate, like to get those opportunities, I'm sure... It sounds like you hustled hard. Uh, I think coming through a sales path is a tremendous path for an entrepreneur because you can really bypass a lot of those junior roles and get straight up into the top end of an organization if you can prove yourself with great sales skill, great communication skill. Certainly, I would have been, I probably would have benefited from going straight from sales into a sales role in my career. I'd spent a long time as an accountant, which was very painful for me, but finally got back into, uh, you know, into a more fun space. So yeah, so look, I mean, it sounds like it was, um, you know, a lot of hustle and also, you know, a bit of a bit of serendipity and a bit of luck, you know, with that international meeting. And but I suppose, you know, did it feel like you were taking a big risk and being very brave at the time? Uh, it sounds like there was a lot going on there. You know, you've got international travel, international volunteering, coming back, you know, moving to another city. You know, it sounds like there was a tremendous amount going on.
1: Yeah, and I think like I looked at and the way I've lived my life is, is that what's the worst case scenario being X and if I'm okay with X, then that's fine. And so I looked at it when I jumped on that journey with Sam to go, hey, worst case scenario, this doesn't work out. I go back home, live with my parents and finish my degree. That's the worst thing that can happen compared to many children around the world who are hungry, who don't have education, don't have you know, safety or protection, then that's a pretty good worst case scenario. And as I've lived my life, my worst case scenario keeps on getting better and better and better. And so I definitely think, though, that there was a huge amount of things that we did that made us successful, but there was also a bit of luck. Sam Prince could have been running a sock factory and I probably would have signed up. Uh, and <laughs> You know it there definitely was the right time to be entering the Mexican wave that was happening. I didn't know that that was happening. so from that point of view it was very fortuitous that I got to join Arab right at that beginning. Mm. but then on the other on the other hand, you know I slept on his couch for the first few months. I've spent six months sleeping in our office. I've slept on work sites. I delivered sources because the transportation was too much in the beginning. You know, So it was that grid determination and also surrounding ourselves with people who had been there, done that, because that was the thing that we got to learn because we'd been set the task of, of opening up 100 locations over six years, uh, over five years, and it sort of took us six and a half from when I joined. But we knew that in order to achieve that with no external funding, no debt, we needed to surround ourselves with the people who had done it before so we could learn from their mistakes and their successes so we wouldn't make those same mistakes as we were growing because of our growth ambitions so you know we we're very we used youth very much on our side as part of a negotiation technique to get you know a lot of free help along the way in terms of you know taking out founders for coffees and we'd sit there and speak to somebody in their 40s or 50s and say hey if you do a 24 again and starting out again in business, well, piece of advice would you give us and so you could see them look at you and go "Whoa, i was definitely not doing what you guys are doing at 24 25 and so people were very very generous with their time and i think that that's something that was incredibly appreciated and one of the main reasons for our success along the way but it's something one of the main reasons why we give back today is because of all the generosity that we received as early stage founders as well or you know, executives
0: Wow. Yeah, so cool. I mean, I'm hearing there like a wonderful philosophy too and perspective on life in general. Like, you know, we're so, so fortunate and many of us, especially in, you know, Western countries and, you know, we have so much to be grateful for. And so that can, if you have the right perspective, give you the ability to take risks. And in that young period when your career is very early and you've always got the fallback of, of studying and having a more traditional career, which many people would see as a great outcome anyway. You know, perhaps take that opportunity to to take those risks and back yourself. I think you know, there's that's a wonderful message for for everyone, and great to see that it worked out for you, even if there was a bit of luck in there. And I'm sure it always takes a bit. So, let's say it was, um you know, half your amazing ability and half luck, or, or thereabouts. No, we'll, we'll give you more. We'll give you more. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm 50 That's fine. <laughs> okay. It also, you know, again, it's luck
1: around your first franchisees and your business deals and things like that as well going away. But yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. I'm very grateful that you know Sam saw something in me. And you know, we really built that company to, together from the for those six years That
0: Really love um you know his view as well. Let's talk a little bit about your equity. You don't have to give any numbers that you don't want to give, but you know how wonderful that he saw that equity is not so commonly shared in Australia. You know, going back you know quite a few years as well, it wasn't that common. And it's quite common now in the startup space, but I think still it's not super common in traditional businesses. Maybe talk us through a little bit how that came about. Did you negotiate? Was it like in balance of salary or how did it all come about? There was a, you know, significant equity component to, you know, to your role.
1: Yeah. And it's it's interesting, right? Because I didn't know much about equity or eSop or anything back then. And so I mean it was a very Easy negotiation. Hey, come on board, be the CEO of my company, and I'll give you upside in the business. And you know, there were certain milestones. So it wasn't a time-based ESOP in a way, it was actually a milestone-based. I was the only person who received equity in Zambrero. It wasn't something that was extended to any of the executive team as we grow. And that was a decision made by Sam
0: and was it a massive incentive for you? That must have been a huge incentive at that age to dig deep. You're like, wow, look at this opportunity! I've God, I'm just going to go ballistic and make sure I make the most of it. Was was that part of your thinking? 100,
1: yeah. And again, like I, my goal before meeting Sam was to one day be the VP of sales in a in corporate. And so, because I didn't really know what it was like to be an entrepreneur or start your own company, my parents are school teachers. And so I wasn't really ever exposed to that entrepreneurial world. My brother and sister are school teachers now. Wow. Amazing parents, super supportive, but not very aware of that business world. And so when I was given a chance to own something myself, uh, and now if I look back and go, hey, it also was the ability to not pay me very much at all. 40 grand as a contractor, pay for my own car, fuel, all that Uh sort of stuff. Again, it was, a, so it was a great tool to be able to get me, incentivized me incredibly to work incredibly hard and make it
0: a huge success. And such a win-win, you know, for, was it Sam? He got like an incredibly hardworking, you know, high-performing young star, like just hungry as hell. And, you know, he's obviously given away part of his company, but he's only really given away a much bigger company that that you've helped to build so it's just such a tremendous win-win so you know yeah. let's talk a little talk a little bit about you know that success period and and how it all came about that you ended up getting a fantastic liquidity event and congratulations on that it's, it's a wonderful achievement
1: no, thank you. And so where it got to is I was definitely a minority shareholder of the business and Sam, while I was CEO, also finished his medical degree, his residency. And then, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, he was coming up with different ideas and Zambrero was definitely the cash cow that was providing the facilitation to be able to go and set up the other businesses. There was a there was One Disease charity, there was Life Letters, there was Go. all of those sort of were able to be realised because of the Zambró world. I was getting ready to take the company into the US. Was going to line up outside capital for the first time, ever since um, the beginning. And it was ready, and it was decided that that was going to be the case. But then last minute, it was decided to actually not go ahead with as the plan of attack. Sam was going to really focus on uh, the biotech business, and so which he was well within his rights to do that. And so I'd already put in place the general manager turned CEO, Karim, uh, into the business to replace me here in Australia. And then so I said, and I'd hired my international COO, head of network development. Oh, and so wow. We were ready. We we're about to get married, my wife and I, and then we were planning to move to Seattle. So that the strategy did change. And then so I said at that time, I said, look, I'm not part of the biotech company. I know nothing about that. If you do want to, it's well within your rights to be able to focus on that. But how about you buy me out because I don't want to be undercapitalized to go into the US and make it a big splash. And so I then got Sam to buy me out over the following two years. We did a two-year deal and I put forward a buyout figure that I thought was fair that could also be paid out over multiple years in order to not impact Zambro from a cash flow standpoint
0: yeah amazing how many restaurants were there at that point
1: uh so we're just coming up to the 100 mark
0: wow yeah so unbelievable and to be able to get bought out from kind of free cash flow over a reasonable time frame such a smart move as well because again it's kind of win-win and i think most great success stories in business are that's what you're able to find you get the timing right you know you've got the right people and you're just looking for a fair deal you know that fits within the business model and the cash flow and, and and where things are at and so again, you know, congrats, that's, that's a huge outcome. Let's let's move on a little bit. I've uh, got a bunch of cool businesses that I want to run through, people I'm sure people want to hear about. So I've heard about the entourage for years now, toyed with joining many times. Um, I probably would be a member by now if we hadn't done a couple of other really awesome accelerators. And we're very much a high growth SaaS company, which, you know, perhaps isn't the exact type of company Entourage works with. Anyway, long intro, but great business. You were there 11 years, You know, shareholder, founder, board member. Um, tell us a bit about all that. Yeah. So the founder is Jack DeLosa. Oh, yeah. friend, and I,
1: I happened to be sharing an office with Entourage when it was only Jack and Bryce. Right. uh, They had, I think it was the second unconvention that they were running, and Jack said, "Oh, how about you come along to it?" And so I went to it, and it was an amazing event. There was, you know, hundreds of people who were all doing the same thing that we were doing—startups or wanting to be in startups—and so really found that community that I'd never been exposed to before. And I ran up to Jack after that day and said to him, "Hey, this is amazing!" And he goes, "You should come to the two-day event we're running next week," and I and it was a thousand dollars and I couldn't afford a thousand dollars, even though we were one of the fastest growing franchises. I think we were number two or three on the list. I was still dirt four.
0: This was still during this is still during Zambrero before you had your buyout. Still within Zambrero
1: really early, early on, maybe six to ten locations we were at. But we were getting already a bit of fanfare in the media with Zambrero and our rapid growth and how young we were. And so he goes, Oh no, don't worry, you come along for the weekend. And so I then came by morning tea time. I said, "This is amazing. How to be a How do I be a part of that?" And he goes, "Well, you know how to systemize and operationalize restaurants and scale a company. How about you present tomorrow?" And so the next day, I presented for two hours on operations. <laughs> <laughs> the entrepreneur was still a scrappy startup at
0: that time. Well, I love it when two I love it when two entrepreneurs get together. It's not like, "Oh no, sorry, you can't go." He's thinking, "Oh, hang on a sec." I can get I can get some content out of this and you're like, hang on a sec, I can get a free ticket out of this and then bam. hundred percent. And so,
1: you know, and then then off the back of that, I did a bit of mentoring as well for some extra cash on the side for some of the entourage members. And then there was a chance for Jack to purchase his old company that he was a smaller shareholder in MBA MBA education. And so he looked to raise some capital, so myself and Dominic Carosa were the first money in because Jack had owned it 100 up until that point. And so, you know, very fortunate enough to be able to go and invest and you know be a, I'd say like sort of a seed investor to help with that acquisition with Dominic Carosa. And that was in you know 2011 2000. It was probably 2011 2010. And then just to be there, I was on the board for 10 years. It was inspirational to watch Jack and the team grow and, you know, bring on some other amazing executives and just be around a community because I hope that one day I'd exit Zambra, have some cash, and I figured that entrepreneurs who are willing to invest in their own education by joining the entourage would be the type of entrepreneurs that would leave their ego at the door and be great investee companies to be because if they're willing to learn from others, then it means that they're willing to learn from their investors And so, you know, throughout the last 10 years, I've probably invested in at least half a dozen companies that have gone through the entourage programs and you know, met some amazing people and lifelong friends.
0: Amazing. No, it's um I didn't realize that was all happening at the same time, the Zombrero, Zombrero and um and the entourage businesses, but I guess it kind of makes sense now that you say that and what an awesome time a lot of that must have been. (laughs) Um, and so let's let's sort of I guess go now post Zambrero, talk us through, I guess, some of the the opportunities and, and emotions and what the, your new life looked like after you know I guess having such a successful period and and being able to have a, a bit of an exit.
1: Yeah so it definitely at the time of exit it was a bit of a shock to the system because you know it wasn't necessarily the plan that we'd prepared ourselves mentally for. We were getting ready to go to Seattle. But then there was a bit of a shift in the strategy. And so definitely went through a little bit of uh, an identity crisis.
0: Yeah, because you were on a big upswing with a big expansion plan and a lot of things lined up. And so, yeah, that would have created a bit of turmoil for sure.
1: But then we also then saw it as an amazing opportunity to, you know, my wife had been Sam Prince's CEO of the charity One Disease at a time. So we were the two CEOs of Sam Prince, fell in love, got married.
0: No way. (laughs) No
1: way yeah and by the way her name is also sam samantha so it was incredibly confusing um (laughs) but but yeah so samantha just stepped down from ceo of one disease at a time which is looking after neglected diseases in remote indigenous communities so we've both been startup ceos for you know six years her four or five years and so we just needed a break so we got married and then we did a one-year honeymoon around the world which was unbelievable and uh Huge chance to just sort of experience all the world has to offer, and after making a little bit of money as well, we got to have an amazing time.
0: Didn't have to backpack like the rest of us. <laughs> I don't know what my daily budget was when I did my trip around Europe, but it wasn't—it uh, was lower than the minimum wage. But I—I I hope you did it a bit better. I was where'd your focus? Europe, you know, Asia. What, what was the the big areas that you did? We went
1: North America, South America, and then Europe and sort of spending three to four months in each. I think we went to 20 plus countries, probably was a slightly aggressive on the schedule.
0: <laughs>
1: a year sounds like a very long time and it is, but you don't get to see all of the places that you want to do. But we yeah. put on a big, um, on a wall, all of the world's coolest events to go to and which continent they were in approximately each time. So we went to Rio, Carnival, we hiked Machu Picchu, We went to the opening night uh, in LA of um, Star Wars. And so we just did some really cool, interesting things. And it was a, yeah, just, it was an unbelievable experience. And so one that was, in a way, a big celebration for ourselves for working so hard and being successful in our roles.
0: Amazing. I'll have to swap stories with you uh, at some point. My first thought was Machu Picchu when you said you did South America. It's really a life changing thing to do and recommend it to everyone out there. But, I'm sure we would have done a lot of similar things you know, all around the world. So I look forward to catching up over a beer one time. So then looking through and you know, from our chat, I don't know, when was it? A couple of months ago now, um, you also had a travel startup. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. You founded and, and exited a travel business as well since Sombrero, right? Yeah, so...
1: I'd always wanted to go and work in the States. And so on our honeymoon, we met some founders who who had a company called Send Stay. They were the They were a vacation rental management company. And so with the rise of Airbnb, there was a lot of companies who were making money off the arbitrage that exists between long-term rentals and short-term revenues. Yep. And so they were taking out leases, furnishing, and then they were incredible with revenue management, almost treating... The Airbnb is like hotels, understanding dynamic pricing, and sort of being a step above all of the other hosts on Airbnb. And so I had met them at a party in LA at the beginning of my honeymoon. And then <laughs> was the middle of the honeymoon. One of my old interns from Boston University who I'd stayed in contact with, Paul Luget, joined us for our Columbia part of the trip. And it was just happened to be that we're staying at an Airbnb in Columbia, and we had an issue with the plumbing or something, and we had a manager who spoke really good English. And so we took him out for coffee after he said that he managed 10 places. And so cut a long story short, I ended up contacting those people back in LA. They said they just fired the CEO. After three months of back and forth of different things, they said, hey, you should come and run this. So I then moved to LA and then San Diego, ran a company over there. That didn't end up working out, but we, Paul and I spun off a part of that entity, which was a similar style business. And so that's where Native Travel came from, which was a vacation rental management company. And so that was in Coachella Valley, San Diego, and Big Bear Lake. So we sort of had ski, surf, and sun as a bit of an area. Paul is somebody who I saw back in Zambro days as an intern for me from Boston University. He stayed on for his summer break as a paid employee of Zambro. We'd kept in contact. And then, you know, we were the primary funding source for that business after exiting Zambro. And, you know, we loved Paul. And so he put in a little bit of money. We put in the majority of the money, but then he came on as CEO and we set some additional targets for him to earn a greater equity position in the business as well. And so, again, using those incentives and ESOPs to not only get the right people to balance the deals to based off the work and the amount of capital that's contributed is something that we use all the time in any of our investments. And also, you know, talking about Twire today, all of our clients, one of the biggest things we recommend is the use of ESOP and putting incentives in the right place in order to drive the right behaviour.
0: No, I love it. It's, it's must have been wonderful to be able to fund your own venture and every venture requires a different amount of capital, but still to not have to go immediately out for external capital to be able to, to put something together must give you a lot more speed and, and confidence and flexibility to be able to go after an opportunity when you see it. And then as you say, to have that experience on how to incentivize someone with equity and, and have them come on the journey with you. Yeah, just so great to see it in practice or what I talking about you know like year after year it's just so cool to see
1: and i think that the, the really big probably a good thing that people can take away from the native travel piece is that so that is a business that was renting out or managing other people's properties in vacation rentals when covid hit we nearly got wiped out so we were down to two weeks worth of cash i'd been hit in a number of different things we were exposed in hospitality gyms tourism like a lot of sectors that. Nearly went to zero. Like it was actually illegal for us to host people when COVID hit. And so we're down to two weeks worth of cash. We're looking at liquidating the company, selling contracts. You know, we were scrambling, and I was back in Sydney at this time. And so that was an incredibly stressful situation. We were fortunate enough to get one of those COVID loans in the US and got that fast tracked. It gave us enough cash to stay alive. But then fast forward into 2022 we were able to exit that company and so you know we exited for seven figures not eight but it was a decision that we had to make in order to go hey like what does the landscape look like yes we could grow this bigger but there are other giant competitors coming into the market we don't like the legislative concerns around Airbnb and local jurisdictions changing their minds every five minutes and so we actually were acquired by a very large company that was getting ready to IPO as well. And so we believe that although we didn't sell for that giant, giant exit that we thought we could, we believe that we got a very, very good price. And if we're looking at the distributions and where the business was going to be, it was going to take a really long time to get that compared to the security of the money off the table right now. Yep. And that was the decision that we made as an as a ownership group.
0: Oh, I love it. Uh, so again, who knows what the right decision is, but you know, making strong decisions, taking into account like all those factors and not just blindly growing a company forever. Like I think a lot of people are like, I must scale my company to a billion dollars, and that might be the right path, but, but it might not be. And, and having the ability to think strategically and put something together and, and get an exit. I haven't done it myself yet, something I'm looking forward to doing at some point along the journey. How did it all come together? Did you have to go out and find buyers? Uh, did you have a, like a broker? Let's help people understand a little bit about what an exit kind of looks like, at least from your your experience here.
1: Yeah, for this one, we were fortunate enough that to go to the CEO went to quite a number of sort of... He was very connected in that sector in terms of going to some of the forums or to the, the conferences. And to, so to get to understand... The interactions, and because the US is such a big market, there there was actually there's a few brokers who just specialise in selling vacation rental management companies.
0: Yeah, wow. And
1: so I don't think that that's the case in Australia. I'm sure there's some uh, people
0: that is one of their specialties, but US is so big, you can turn over like 500 million just repairing like washing machines and laundromats or whatever. Like it's crazy over there.
1: That was the piece that. We, he actually, we approached this gentleman who had a couple of people in his firm and we he actually said, I'm happy to act for a buyer or I'm happy to act for the seller. And so for this case is that we wanted to, even though he ultimately, we ended up ultimately going to somebody who we already knew was the potential buyer and we put forward for the very beginning is that he was actually really good at helping structure the deals to know, what else was going in the market? And I think yep. help us get a better price than we would have got ourselves and understanding how to structure those deals, especially because we were looking at forward-looking contracts and there was some nuances around it. So I'm going through that process really made me value and appreciate how a broker or somebody who's really experienced in an MA and transactions can add. So I think you can think about it as I think we paid him 5% of transaction value, but compared to what we would have got it's probably worth 10x what we paid him so yeah
0: again win-win you know like without him you wouldn't have had all that research and all that intel and then you wouldn't have had the confidence like i can only compare it to you know last time i bought a house uh, i spent so much time doing research and when i found the one i wanted i knew exactly i went straight in I knew exactly what i wanted to pay but if i hadn't done all the research i could never have done that and so i think it's important to have these professionals around to help you with these things. If you've never done it before, you know, I think you'd just be floundering and lost and you could easily do a Waste suck your deal or never get one done at all. And then, you know, who knows if the timing is gonna be right the following year or did it take long? Like what sort of time frame are you talking? Um, you know, I guess
1: it might have been a two months to get the buyer. We ran, we ran a pretty aggressive buying schedule we then um had maybe a 60 to a 90 day close for their DD to go forward but then we also did have a retention payment on 25 percent of the sale price for a six month period because we're transitioning clients from us to to them um we kept on some of our team to help with that transition process and then get a final balloon payment at the end
0: de risk it a bit and and you know balance i guess out the yeah i guess they were just trying to protect themselves in case there was too much IP connected to to you guys, or something like that. Awesome! Thanks for talking through that again. Congrats! Oh, sounds awesome, and another step on your journey to creating your family office. Where along the way did Twio Capital sort of come into into the world? And, you know, that's your family office, I think, to some degree. And and as CFO services company, I don't know exactly how you position it. Maybe share a little bit about the genesis of Twio and and how that's going. It certainly seems like a super interesting business from my perspective.
1: So so Twyla is the original entity. It was actually when I first invested in the entourage because I looked on the register and I saw that people had... Different names. It wasn't just like the Delosa family office or the Cook family office or Cook Investments, PTY Limited. Had all these different names. I'm like, oh shit, i better come up with a cool name. And so that's where it came from, upward Twyo, which is the world is your oyster, because a lot of people have been saying that to me. And (laughs) it then it then turned actually into a logo and a brand when Samantha and I were traveling around the world because we knew that we were going to meet amazing people on a honeymoon. And so we created a quick website, a quick business card, so that when we met all these cool people around the world, there was a way to connect with them. But then it wasn't as a business. So it was really just managing our investments to begin with. But then as a business, that's really just come into light in 2019, where I reconnected with uh, Ryan Barnes, who was the CFO of Zambrero while I was there, and then also was a CFO of Sam Pritchard's family group. He and I had stayed in touch. But... You know, we hadn't worked together in four or five years and it was after investing in fitstop and becoming the chairman of fitstop I realized that it was hard to be a good chairman and advisor to a company that didn't have strong financials and forecasts and so he then did a some work after hours to be their their virtual CFO I said hey let's do more of this together we like working together I need what you need and oh, so I need all the amazing stuff that you do. And so we actually formed together to create a new entity, which was Twio Capital and Advisory, lending from the original namesake. And then so Ryan and I became partners, founded Twio Capital and Advisory, and that now is a full-fledged corporate advisor and virtual CFO advisory firm. And so, And then also managing the portfolio of investments pre that formation and post that formation as well.
0: Amazing. So I guess it's, there's two arms to that. There's the investment side of things. Um, and I see from your LinkedIn that you know, you've know you got a bunch of board positions and you're involved in a range of awesome companies. So, And then um, you know on the CFO side of things, do you want to talk us through a little bit of detail on what services are being offered? I think it's a good opportunity to share. From my perspective, I totally agree. We see so many startups. They come in with engineering, product background, marketing background, You know, they're after, you know, one or two million dollars or more. And, you know, they, it's hard, you can't afford a full time CFO. But if you haven't got anyone skillful in finance, you can very easily waste that money. Or even if you're not wasting it, you can't communicate what you're doing with it well. And therefore, you lose the trust of your investors. So, as a former CFO myself, I'm 100% across the the benefits. But maybe talk us through, you know, some of the specifics of the types of work uh, that you're doing.
1: Yeah, cool. So I think people come into our lives for a season, a reason, or a lifetime, and we're definitely a season. So we work with, particularly with companies, say a million to $10 million, maybe growing up to $20 million, but we're there for that part of the journey. We're not accounts. We're not bookkeepers. And every company will start off with that. But then when they need to start doing budgeting and forecasting because they get to the end of the quarter and go, shit, the bass is due and I don't have enough cash to pay it because the bank of the ATO, they've been leveraging themselves. So that's really that tipping point of like that $1 to $3 million in revenue is typically where we see it. Where we come in, we will help build forecasts, board reports, help show the CEO and the founders and definitely the board what the risk profile of the business is, what are some of the areas that they can improve to either increase profit margins or decrease their risk or decrease costs. So because we've got you know nearly 30 companies that we do this as a, a service to, we get to learn from all the other different companies we're working with and you know provide them the right opportunities or or savings as well throughout that network. And then when they get to the point where they've outgrown us, I think on average, our companies that we work with grew about 50% last year. And at that rate, they outgrow us at a certain point and we'll tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, it's time for you to hire a full-time CFO or financial controller. And We'll see you later and you're a a success story. So we're there to help them in that growth journey. We've got some clients who are really stable, family-owned companies that will be with us maybe forever, but we're really there and we seem just probably from our own networks to attract those sort of early-stage, high-growth companies or ones that have got a lot of aspiration for growth.
0: Yeah, perfect. And you you were talking about, I guess, being an advocate for having ESOP and stock options. How does that work from your perspective? Uh, what sort of advice and, and tips do you give your your clients around ESOPs and stock? Yeah, so we
1: will always sit down and go, well, what do the owners and the founders want for the company? And what are the skill sets they need around them? And I think it always comes back to that because we're there to represent the company and the owners and the founders of the company. And so all we do is is we're not lawyers, but we act as those advisors to let them know, hey, here are some of the things that we've seen work really, really well in the past. You know, We can help identify, hey, you seem to really rely on that person. Have you ever thought of actually giving them equity um, or giving them upside? Sometimes it might not be ESOP. Sometimes it might be phantom shares. Sometimes it might be other performance pieces. And so we sort of just go, hey, here's all the different tools that you could potentially use. We strongly recommend ESOP. But then often it's also just helping explain ESOP to realise that you're not giving away the company, that there are sort of different tools and protection mechanisms in place to be able to get that back if it doesn't work out. And so I think that's a big piece. It's just a lot around education and and that's what we do is like really educate people around those different tools so they can better be informed to create those right incentives to create the right behavior from their team members, especially the crucial ones.
0: Yeah, sounds like you're coming at it from the right perspective. I think a lot of startups, you know, they'll chuck an ESOP in place because they kind of have to, you know, they'll go to their lawyer, they'll get the thing and everyone get give it a stock, but they're not doing it for the right reason, not doing it to incentivize the team and create behaviors and create culture. And so then they end up, you know, 5%, 10 15% of the company kind of goes out the door to the team and look, there may be an exit and, and that that's awesome, but you're not doing it to incentivize the team in, in that instance. And that's, I think, kind of doing it upside down. So, um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. What's the problem? What's the motivation? What challenge are we trying to, you know, to build here and where are we trying to go? And then what are the tools that we can utilize?
1: And also to make the team actually realize what they've got as well, because a lot of people I've seen they get ESOP and they don't really understand what it means as well, and so it doesn't actually act as the appropriate motivator for them if they don't understand the how it's going to work out. So that's not educating the entrepreneur or the CEO; it's educating the the team members as well.
0: It's two levels, isn't there? Yeah. Some of them, they even think it's bad. Hey, I've got this ESOP and they think, oh, it's being deducted from my pay, or I've got like a tax bot problem, but there isn't. And like it can really be negative when it's supposed to be positive. And it is a bit of a process to go through to get it right. May I ask how cake helps in this? This isn't a cake podcast per se, of course, but let's talk a little bit about how you see, you know, cake helping in the, from the cap table perspective, capital raising, ESOP, like whatever you sort of feel like touching on. Yeah.
1: So we use cake every sing- with every single one of our clients, even if they haven't asked us to, because I mean, and I am going to sound like a sales pitch, but I promise I don't have any shit. <laughs> cake but, Checks in the yeah. mail. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Especially because you offer that. Free me. Oh, I think it's, and I could get a little bit wrong, correct me, but pretty sure under a certain size is a free cake piece available. And then it's once they get it over certain sizes. So even if they're a, you know, a single shareholder, it's just this great place to keep everything in one as a one source of truth. And so when you get new shareholders, that's great to have the register and then either communicate to your shareholders through that platform. They can access their share certificates and, and do all that rather than keep on harassing the CEO or the accountant or the CFO. And then when it comes to ESOP, it's that you can load everything in there and then what's cool is when you've got the different vesting periods is that there's the, depending on what how often the vesting happens, they get this little email that pops up and goes, congratulations, more shares vested. And so that sort of reinforces that the company's doing the right thing for the team members, especially when it comes to ESOP. And there's some really good sort of how-to guides and explanation videos and things in there as well. But yeah, so we, we use it for every single one of our clients.
0: Awesome. No, great to hear you. Again, you know, that's totally Stuart's opinion.
1: Yeah, you paid for this.
0: I will yeah. apologize for having a little cake plug in there, yeah. but I know Stuart yeah. and his team are super users, so I thought it was worth um, checking out. All right, we're running out of time. It's been awesome. I've got a couple of things that I want to finish on. First of all, Stuart, I really liked how throughout this interview, you know, multiple times, I guess we talked about your generosity and, and donating both yourself and Sam. and. I was just looking at your LinkedIn at, at For Purpose Co. And so I'd love to just dig into that a little bit and hear what that is and, and what you're doing there. Uh, so For Purpose Co.
1: is the venture arm of Oz Harvest. So OzHarvest is an amazing food recycle charity started by Ronnie Cohen um, and has been around for over a decade and done some amazing work because you know food waste is a huge problem in Australia and around the world. And so OzHarvest's goal is to be able to create a more efficient food system and any of the wasted food is to be able to go and be redistributed before it gets wasted. And so the challenge is, is a lot of charities are finding it harder and harder to raise funds from donors. Don't there is the thing called donor fatigue. And you know, everybody gets hit up all the time for money and there is more causes out there than there is funds available. And so Oz Harvest has set up a new entity a few years ago for called for purpose co. It's about to get rebranded to Oz Harvest Ventures. But our goal is to be able to invest in and work with early stage companies in the food recycle and the entire food sustainability ecosystem, get free carry, leverage the networks, the donors that Harvest has, which would be really, really helpful for early stage startups, and then to be able to generate wealth for Harvest ventures to eventually fund Harvest or to allow to continue to do the great work it does.
0: I absolutely love that. And I also love hearing like there's a great intersection there between doing good and commercial outcomes. I was just in LA last week at UCLA for a climate tech event. And there was, you know, strong trend at that event from the panel around waste, minimizing and reusing waste. It's going to have to increase a thousandfold, I think, you know, over the next few decades. And so not only are you going to be doing good, Hopefully, there can be some good commercial outcomes, which then creates more opportunity for reinvestment. You know, with good people. So, look, I love hearing good people do well, and it's been an awesome subcurrent to this conversation. So, good on ya! It's good to be a good person first, and then a good business person second. So, just to wrap up, we have a section quite often around creative, healthy lifestyle. That's what we we call it at Cake. We see our health and our team's health, mental health, as a very important aspect of building a great company, having, you know, really strong, capable team and a successful company. Can you touch a little bit on how you see health and mental health for you and or in your businesses and how you look to promote that?
1: Yeah, so definitely, am for that, and I know that in, era, in times of high stress, I let that slip. And that's one of the first things I let slip, but when I let it slip, then I don't perform as well. And so, I mean, one of the things that I think has been incredible that uh, Ryan Barnes, who runs Twio, has done is we've it created a really big health and wellness program within Twio's framework. And so we have a, even as simple as a, it's called Feats of Strength, it's a Slack channel. Everybody at the start of the week writes down how many active things they're going to do this week, and everybody posts, you know, going out for a walk or doing something, they post how many times they do something from a health standpoint, and then also have to do at least one wellness thing. And it could be going and buying a favorite cake and enjoying it in a park. It can be going and visiting your parents, or it can be going to a sauna and having a alone time and meditating. But just that celebration of doing positive things for yourself and not just work in within the work environment is being received incredibly well, and the team are incredibly well engaged with it. And so that's something that we've seen a direct out, output of better performance and just happier, healthier people makes a better environment within the business. And so that's been probably the biggest thing. And also providing them with a service, and I can't remember the name of it, but we've got a free, we provide it free to our team, but we pay for a subscription where they can call counsellors if they want, if they're having a hard time at home or at work or anything like that. That, that's always there available it's completely anonymous we only know the hours that get used we don't know who used it or what it was about but you can see that there's been some months that people use it a lot some months nobody ever uses it but the feedback's been really really strong on that and that's
0: around that mental health piece as well amazing thanks for sharing particularly resonated with me your wellness program how broad it is and how open it is and it's not all about discipline and optimizing and doing more, you know, we need to have balance in our wellness routine and we need to understand ourselves and and what keeps us in in, in a good good position. And, and we need to be very broad in our understanding what wellness is within a team because we're all different. And, you know, we've definitely had learnings along those lines at Cape as well. So thanks for sharing. Stuart, thank you. I am going to have to wrap it up just on time, but I think it's been awesome, interesting, enlightening, you know, for anyone that's looking to understand what does it look like creating real value from equity and and what opportunities does it open for us and, and how does it help a leader learn, you know, to go on and create better and better businesses uh, throughout their careers. I think we've done plenty of that. So thanks for joining us. We're very grateful to have you. I guess that's the end of the episode for today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.